Hi, folks. It's your host, Trisha Friedman. My pronouns are she, her, and hers. This episode is actually going to point you to another show that I am so happy to have launched in 2022, and I'm really excited for what we have on the horizon for the new year. This is a show that I work on in partnership with head of school Kathleen Nagley. Some of you will know Kathleen as she's been a guest already on the Be a Better Ally podcast. Our collaborative show, Unhinged Collaboration, hopes to really queer the conversation around collaboration. When we are talking about collaboration as a construct and as a concept, what are the resources that serve as fuel? What are the voices that maybe we need to listen to a little bit closer? And how are these times that we are in driving us to really reimagine the concept as we've experienced it in years past? So on the show this week, I am going to share with you episode six. That is the most recent episode. If you like what you hear in episode six, you might want to go back and start at the beginning of our Unhinged Collaboration series. But I also thought it was timely to give you this episode because the episode talks about a brand new free resource that Kathleen and I collaborated on that, again, gives your team a variety of resources. It partners those resources with a collaborative, reflective document, and of course, also gives you a protocol. So you have a place to share your thinking. You have some scaffolding to prompt thinking and intellectual debate. And then you have a variety of resources that, um, again, the, the heart and soul of our show is to really diversify, to think differently about who our leaders are, who the thought leaders are that are shaping the conversation about collaboration. Um, if you are a part of a team at a learning organization and you are ready to really take that critical lens to what it is that you actually mean when you say collaboration. This resource is for you. Before I share this resource, I also just want to give a huge shout out to Kathleen Nagley. I know many of the listeners of this show have so much admiration for what she does. She's a mentor. She's a sponsor. She's a leader, and she is definitely one of the most compassionate people I think I have ever had the privilege of working with. She's that person who has reminded me of the incalculable power of storytelling. So I hope you enjoy episode six of the Unhinged Collaboration Podcast. You can get the free resource we refer to by heading over to the show notes. I'm Kathleen Negley. I've been in education for 31 years and have served as an international head of school for more than a decade. And I'm Trisha Friedman. I've been a classroom teacher, digital literacy coach, and now I consult with schools from all around the world on fostering inclusion. The Unhinged Collaboration Podcast will bring together our perspectives and questions on what it takes to go beyond just cracking the door open to more authentic, more equitable, more inclusive collaboration. Let's think bigger on ways to take the door out of the way all together. Hey, Kathleen, how you doing? Great, Trish. How are you doing? 
It's I, glad to be back as usual. Yeah, and on the cusp of, um, I know that you're getting ready to go into your break. I'm about a week away from that. And um, I am less than 24 hours um, and, and really looking forward to, as I was telling my staff, restorative rest. Mm -hmm. Well, actually, on that note, before we dig into um, today's, the main heart of that conversation, do you have any advice or any, you know, strategy, like the thing that you do to really, because it's difficult to switch gears, right? You know, you're operating on all cylinders for so long that sometimes I find like making that shift into actually trying to recharge. It's like that pivot can be really difficult. Is there anything that you do strategically to help yourself out there? Well, you know, when I, when I used to um, just be a full-time teacher, I always thought that it took two weeks of the um, summer holiday to decompress. Mm -hmm. Like I thought that was like at least that amount. And when we have these shorter breaks, which, you know, that, that is your holiday. I think it's really challenging. And for me, because my current life, I'm basically away from my family most of the week and I see them only on the weekends. I, I really, I take a ferry home uh, every, every week. And on that ferry, it's, I have a couple hours and it's a chance for me to have quiet time with myself and say, and like intentionally say like, okay, you're going back. They need you. They need mm -hmm. you to be present with them. Um, what do you kind of need to get settled in your own brain so that you can be fully there with them? And, you know, sometimes that's easier um, some weekends and others. And what, as I'm going into this, um, this holiday at the moment, I personally feel like I really need, I need the kind of comfort that also I'm going to be giving them. And that means I have to be ready to, um, be with them in a way where, you know, it's about hugs and love and like, no, we're not doing much of anything today, except, you know, maybe we'll make chocolate chip cookies or something, you know, we'll watch something really silly mm -hmm. and, um, not putting any pressure to be doing anything, I think is really important. Often on vacations, we're like, okay, I got to visit three museums and I'm going to do this and that and whatever. And for me, this vacation, like no agenda is, is the gift I'm trying to give myself. And of course, trying to stay away from phones and, and, you know, the digital world as much as possible, but you know, it's often the case or has been in the last few years that I get the phone call and they're like, and next thing I know, I got to open up my email and there's 75 things waiting yeah. for me and I get sucked back into it. So, you know, I'm doing my best to be prepared and take care of many things as I can and hope I don't get that phone call uh, during the next few weeks. And yeah, I'm, I want hugging. Uh, that's my plan to be hugged. Well, it's interesting that you bring that up because I don't know if we've talked about this before, but the research that the Nagowski sisters do in their book about um, completing the stress cycle. Yes. Yeah. I love that book. I love that book too. And I love that, you know, one of the strategies they point out, I think it's a, a 60 second embrace and yes. what the research says around what that can do to help us reset. So like my wife and I have started practicing that every once in a while, like at the end of a stressful day. 
Um, yeah. And it is a really interesting reset. So um, folks, if you haven't tried that yet, the 60 second hug is uh, maybe a nice, a nice thing to try. But I've also been just trying to, how do I make sure that my focus doesn't splinter as much? So I do, I'm trying out this new approach where I kind of shut down my online uh, apps at a staggered rate. So I've already started my break from Twitter, which is maybe one of the things mm -hmm. that I feel like can splinter and fracture my attention the best because yes. it's like the news, other, you know, the connections that I have in that space. So I've taken that away and I plan on, um, I've done this before, actually just taking my email app off my phone as I get closer yeah. to that family time. So it's like not even an option, right? For a few days, yeah. like when I am somewhere with my family, I just, I just am with them. Um, so I'm just trying to sort of take some of those online things off the menu. I know that I, we can't do that permanently, but, um, yeah, I, I, I agree with that as well. I have a, I have a little mini iPad that is kind of like my Kindle and I, during the holidays, I try to get everything off that has any connection really besides downloading, you know, something off of mm -hmm. Amazon. And, um, that's like, it's like, don't enter my space. Yeah. That's, that's how I, and this is going to be my safe space. We're talking about safe spaces. This is like, okay, I'm going to open this up and this is only going to be entertainment for me. I'm going to watch some dumb TV show and I'm going to read a book and there is no connection with the outer world. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I've been trying since this is the year that I, I actually have tried out TikTok, um, which of course can be really engaging. But as I, you know, as I've been exploring that app and thinking about it through the perspective of like a teenager, just so aware to, aware of like how much comes at you, how quickly. And so I've been trying to do more around like slow consumption. So I really like a song. I'm just going to listen to that full album. Right. Um, oh yeah. That sounds great. With, with cooking, I actually have this has been the year that I've stopped like, oh, let me look up a recipe online. Let me see what's available in the library. I'm actually just going to use cookbooks. So, right. you know, again, like thinking about just slow focus, totally being consumed by one thing and not bouncing around as much because I, I do think the way that we read and consume can be so fragmented and I'm just kind of almost just so curious to think a little bit more about what does a deep dive, a sustained focus on one topic or concept mean? And that's sort of the segue yeah. into the resource that we we want to share because, you know, Kathleen, we're now a few episodes into this series on collaboration. And I think even we have been guilty of talking about collaboration without really defining it. And I think that's kind of the heart and soul of our podcast. What are some of the assumptions that underline what we think this concept is and so we've created a just a one pager it's a menu um, for teams who want to just peel some of the layers of the onion away and, and try to think a little bit more about what is defining our understanding of collaboration and how might we bring in uh, some resources to help us question, to help us have deeper dialogues around collaboration. Um, we've put together a one pager that has five different resources. We're calling this our collaboration uh, quarterly 
review. We'd like to do this semi-regularly. It's like a lit review of some resources that we've found that have some profound things to say about collaboration. Uh, the document also has a, a sort of a team note taking document. There's a protocol there. So if you've got a PLC or your grade level team, or just you and a few colleagues want to do some of that questioning around how is it that we've come to our definition of collaboration and how might some others help us shift, reimagine, redefine? That's really what the tool is about. Kathleen and I are not going to talk you through all of the resources, but we wanted to just pull out a few that we found really intriguing. So with that, Kathleen, why don't you tell us a little bit about one that kind of stood out to you and um, tell me a little bit more about why it interested you. Sure. So one of the resources we have is um, Brene Brown's Dare to Lead podcast, um, which I, I know many of you probably are also fans of. And this episode was this uh, past November on this idea of brave spaces. And uh, in this episode, um, it was really interesting uh, for those who are interested in this topic uh, because she's breaking down what are some of the kind of the barriers that we see um, when people collaborate. And uh, through her research and through the, the, the group that they have, they've you know had have done you know, hundreds of trainings for, with people around the world. And um, to begin a, a session, they were often asking questions around um, what would we need to do to have this be, a safe space for you to be vulnerable and questions uh, kind of like we often ask this essential agreements. We often use these terms in, in, um, in schools and what they found over and over and over again was the, the, the barrier of almost every individual, um, going into, um, delicate conversations is the idea that they didn't want to be judged. Mm -hmm. And this is like this universal kind of response. So she would find that, um, you know, it would be written in so many different forms in so many different groups, even when she did the astronauts that they did a training on this idea that when we go into a discussion with others, there is an essential human fear of being judged. And I thought, okay, that's really interesting, isn't it? Um, because we, we often expect in education that we've already broken down that barrier, that this is our colleague and that, you know, we think they respect us and we respect them. And we're going in with all of these in great intentions, but when it actually becomes something that might be difficult, this human emotion, this fear appears. And, you know, through this research, they also saw that um, this idea that we would create some kind of safe space for dialogue is a myth. And um, that in fact, because of power, because of positionality of those who are in a group, it's almost impossible to have something that would feel like a safe space that you as a school or a team are like, we're gonna create this safe space. The assumptions behind that are, are too great to overcome. So to, to go into dialogue with members of your team and say, this is a safe space is you have to imagine that there's a large number of people on that team being like, uh-uh, it's -uh, <laughs> not a safe space. 
and for various reasons why that does not feel safe. And we've talked before in this podcast that marginalization um, is a huge barrier for people in dialogue. And until you kind of explore that in your teams, uh, you're going to struggle. And how to find ways that people can be vulnerable um, that does not expose them has to be an essential question when you're doing any kind of training uh, around topics that might be bringing up very difficult emotional responses. And I've been thinking back on some of the things I've done this past semester, and we have tried to, um, I think in our minds, we're trying to create safety, but after listening to that podcast, I'm thinking, ah, you know, she's right. Um, and this idea that she called a brave space where you're going to try to have some kind of agreements um, to to have some information being shared, but understanding that for some people, that format that you've created may um, be threatening, it may trigger um, some very deep emotional responses, and we just need to be really careful with others. I am really glad that you picked that as one of the resources to discuss because I feel like that entire episode really had me thinking about, as Dr. Brene Brown says, you know, what if instead of perpetuating this myth that a space is safe, what if instead we put a lot of our effort and attention towards making sure it's an accountable space, it's a space where folks know we are going to be held accountable to one another, to our community. Um, and we have outlined what that means and what that looks like. So I'm wondering for learning organizations, for different teams, what might that shift mean for you? If you, again, just accepted the reality that no, there is no such thing as a safe space, right? Yes. We know that. What is it going to mean to know that folks are accountable to the community, what are our sort of processes around that, and where might that effort be, um, uh, you know, kind of better better spent? Um, one of the resources that I'd like to chat a little bit more about is a piece. Uh, it's by Nina F. Weisling and Wendy Gardner. It's called "No More Nice Mentors," and it's um, it's their research that they've pulled out on what they call socialized niceness. So I'm just going to pull a quote from the reading to read out. So in their research, they say, quote, girls especially are raised to be nice and maintain the comfort of others at all costs. Because it is subconscious, people driven by niceness may not even recognize it or its negative effects. It can take the shape of avoiding or ignoring conflict, refraining from discussing controversial, controversial topics, being people-pleasing, rule-following, and downplaying their own knowledge and expertise. So they kind of go into this idea of what that also means for mentors, for leaders, when we lean into being quote-unquote nice, um, how we're actually really doing a disservice to our community. And the piece that I love is they don't just leave us with that, they do bring us a few solutions. Um, and one of the, the pieces of that research that they pulled together are some language frames that might disrupt harmful practice. Because yes, if we're having a quote unquote difficult dialogue, I think it is often helpful to have some some go-tos in place. So they've got a whole list. Um, but I really, I just wanted to point out three that um, 
I, I think are really useful and I envision using myself personally. So you're in that tricky conversation. You don't want to just say, okay, I, I want to be nice and not discuss this. You do want to kind of lean into that discomfort. So three of the many language frames they point us to, one of them is just asking the question, is there another way of looking at fill in the blank? Um, when blank happened, what message do you think blank might have seen or heard? And then lastly, are you open to the possibility that question mark? Um, and uh, I, I really appreciated this piece because I think what it does is it's sort of draws that line through nice and it says instead let's really believe in our community let's see their potential for for growth and transformational change if we can kind of like push into that conflict a little bit through listening you know all three of those yes. language frames are questions so it's really kind of coming to it i think from a stance of of curiosity um and so for me in that piece you know the I think one of the questions that I would want to bring back to my teams is really like, how is socialized niceness holding us back? Um, yeah. You know, I'd be interested even like, let's share a story of when maybe we've done that or we've experienced that and really understanding that sometimes what we call nice is actually really nefarious. I, I've been lucky enough to have some training around and I'm not an expert in any way in cognitive coaching and, you know, in cognitive coaching, this is really the, the key, the key to having a relationship where you want somebody to self-discover what you might be able to observe and questioning is really all of it. It's like for you not to, the, the best kind of feedback kind of um session you could have with somebody is to is to put a situation where you're allowing them to tell them what their experience was and asking questions that might help them think through um an experience and something that was difficult or um you know the source of conflict and the idea that you give advice to another as as maybe I'm doing right now, <laughs> is a position of, of again, of, of positionality of power. And sometimes that that's almost never, you know, ultimately effective. If you are put in a position of a mentor or a sponsor with somebody, it's like, how do you build them up to discover the things that they need to know um, in their growth, um, but also not overlaying your emotions and your experience on what they just had. So, you know, I think this resource is really pointing to some critical questions that um, I think are helpful for, you know, in collaboration, but in, in many other ways as well, even, you know, sometimes I refer back to like, even how something happens in your family when you're working with, you know, a, a child or, you know, or a spouse who might be upset about something, trying to figure out like, what the source is and being a really, really good and active listener. Um, that means just keeping your mouth shut sometimes and, uh, or just asking a really good question. I completely agree. And that's where, you know, sometimes when I'm working with a team and someone will say something like, oh, you know, we never argue or we never fight. 
immediately in my mind, I almost make the judgment of like red flag. Um, red flag, red flag, red flag. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> What's going on that you have no conflict? Yes. Uh, and that's, I, I do think in those spaces where there's absolutely no conflict, um, I, there's probably not a lot of growth either. So uh, yeah, I, I just, um, I think that's really an interesting an interesting thing to think through and maybe to share more stories around too. In what ways has conflict been useful to us and, and learning, you know, and celebrating those moments where a conflict helped us grow. Um, and this idea again of that, you know, in working with women and, and other marginalized people, we are trained to care for the person in front of us because we're doing our best not to receive harm. Yep. And um, that may be that you are placating another. Um, and, you know, there's there's kind of this uh, ability to that I'm going to give all of their ideas, um, you know, a, a gold star and that you're 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 just so supportive because um, being in a position of where it's threatening to be in a relationship and many relationships, then you do nothing that might disturb, um, the waters. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. I, um, yeah, that's, and the connection, I think between the resource I was mentioning and yours, I think it's sort of those spaces where you can disturb the waters take note of that um you know and and who is allowed to disrupt the waters and in which way um yes. i i think again as we as we maybe focus on telling the story of some of our initiatives you know i i think learning organizations often will talk about like the strategic plan and how are we actually telling some of the stories of strategic plans in the past what was that journey like and when you know the waters were quote unquote disrupted what did that do for the plan or for the goals yes. um, and kind of humanizing strategic plans is something I'm, yes. I'm kind of interested in. Um, Kathleen, tell me a little bit about mm -hmm. um, another resource that you thought was kind of. Next one I thought was kind of funny for me because sometimes you have to, you have to put the spotlight on your own um, <laughs> <laughs> problems as well. And th this was a um, Harvard uh, business review uh, article, HBR, uh, When Leaders Struggle with Collaboration by Ron Carucci and Luis Velasquez. Um, and it was, I think this was directed at leaders who have been in senior positions and kind of uh, exposing how often those who have gained power are really bad at collaborating. And um, for some leaders, the way they entered into leadership and the way that they've climb the so-called ladder of leadership is by being highly competitive with others. So this has been maybe an aggressive selling of your ideas and maybe the diminishing of ideas of others. It might be that you have manipulated information so that you um, are seen in, in, in a good light. And it could be that you've been rewarded for this kind of um unsportsmanlike conduct. <laughs> and um, so when leaders then find themselves that they reach the position that they were after or whatever, at some point they have to work with a team and maybe they have not been a very good team player all along. 
Um, and so the habits that they have might be to um, be, again, one, completely overconfident about their own idea and having very little humility. They might find that they uh, are good at assembling a team and already having an agenda in their head, making that happen, um, and then um, distributing the jobs that so that they don't have to do any of it. So, you know, we're gonna have, we're gonna have this collaborative team meeting and we're gonna get everything together. And, you know, people might come excited to share their ideas. They find those ideas are shot down and then they've been tasked with the leader's um, own personal agenda or their views on this. And, you know, I would say sometimes, and, he, you know, I would, here's my own mistakes at times. Sometimes we're put into meetings under very tight schedules and we are, we are tasked with trying to get things done very quickly. And when that happens, sometimes a, a meeting might have, I got 20 minutes, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. And like, yeah, but this is what we're going to do. And you go do that. <laughs> And, you know, sometimes that is the most effective collaboration you can have at that moment, because for whatever, whatever time pressure or emergency situation is happening, you know, um, I have a, I have a very large yellow vest that says fire marshal on the back, and I'm in charge of running the uh, fire drills. And, um, I have all these tasks and I have to walk around with a big bullhorn and you guys do this and report back to me. And, and all those roles are very clear as this person's going to have the attendance. And, you know, in some situations, that's how you collaborate by very clear, strict rules because safety is important. And if there was an emergency, we want to make sure everyone knows what they're supposed to do. But um, sometimes in a school, that wouldn't be the best way to get, you know, people to have buy-in. Um, and I, I think the greatest um, lesson for any leader, if they want to be um, successful, is um, to really find humility, understand that they don't know all the answers. And if you don't believe that you're on this um, infinite learning journey in your leadership, then you're going to fall into these traps. But like I said, it's easy to... It's easy when you feel that you have, you feel pressured to use these as coping strategies. Yeah, I mean, I I love that you brought up that idea that we always have something more to learn. And I think we have to be really careful in education because that phrase lifelong learner has been just almost like hallowed out. And I wonder for our teams, when is the last time within a team that you work with that folks you've actually asked each other and this is a, an interesting time to do it you know coming to a calendar year end what is it in the next few months that you feel you do have to learn around collaboration or around topic x and actually like fill in that blank you know have that have that conversation and and instead of just saying well you know we're all lifelong learners where yeah. are you actually at right now with your journey and, and sharing that and being more transparent, I think is huge. And the reality, Kathleen, you know, it's great to hear you say that because I do think some school leaders underestimate how much attention is being paid to how they collaborate, right? And do yes. they, you know, are, are they actually, you know, practicing that 
just because, as you said, just because we call something a collaborative meeting or, you know, collaborative conversation doesn't make it so. And that reminds me of the last resource that I wanted to talk about. And that's um, the podcast Intersectionality Matters from Kimberly Crenshaw, who coined that phrase. Um, on a recent-ish episode, she sits down with Bob the Drag Queen from RuPaul's Drag Race. And they talk about... It. They talk about the space of drag, right? And how um, basically Crenshaw describes drag. I, I wrote down this quote from the show as, quote, a space that creates alternatives to reality and a space for liberation, end quote. Um, Crenshaw goes on to explain that, you know, racism can exist and does exist in that space that really like subcultures are not immune to issues in broader spaces. So just because drag is meant to be a space that's subversive doesn't mean it doesn't still have to reckon with all the different um you know forces of oppression and it's a really interesting conversation that looks at how different performances are critiqued by different people and how the way in which we respond to art is an interesting way to really reflect on our own identity our own positionality so i, I love too that they they go on and they talk about comedy as an art form and how comedy can either like deviate from stereotypes or can amplify them. And the episode talks specifically about like teaching as performance, right? And that, you know, the way I am as a teacher is not like necessarily the way that I talk to friends or family, right? And so what is it that we're embodying in that performance? Um, and they, uh, when they have that conversation about humor, it's made me think about how sometimes humor can be weaponized in schools. And it's like, who is being laughed at? Who's laughing and why? Like, what are some of the messages that we, um, you know, that we are deeming funny? Uh, so I, I really appreciate, they, they dig into all of that. And um, I have one other quote that I wrote down that, again, reminds me of what you were saying about as a leader having to reflect on collaboration, you know, really needing to do that, that critical work and also needing mentors who are not just going to meet us with niceness. So Crenshaw uh, says, quote, true love is the person who sees the potential. Um, and I, I really love that. So that yes. for me, um, you know, I'd love to take that back to a team and maybe you know do that reflection around in order for you to see my potential what's maybe something that i need you to know about an experience of mine um yeah and this idea of being just seen mm. i mean and this is how how much we all crave this that for someone to finally see who we really are and our authentic beautiful selves which is so dangerous for us to show at times and um that is is hidden by the performance that we're in i always said for me that the hardest transition from teacher to being a school leader was i had left behind my teacher self which was funny and goofy and <laughs> stupid and that somehow i i had to be something else um, as a leader. And once I learned, like I could, I could go back to that um, part of myself with adults, then things really changed for me because um, people can feel that from me um, when I'm in front of them. And if I'm hiding that part of myself, um, then um, no one's going to see my potential and I can't see theirs either. And it goes back to just what we were talking earlier about 
this idea of safe spaces versus brave spaces. Um, for many of us, there might never be a safe space. And that's a really harsh, sad truth for many people around the world today. Um, and, you know, as you mentioned, drag queens and the things that have happened recently in the U.S., um, you know, at um, the violence against queer people, um, there there is no safe space for some people, not even in their own homes. Um, but there there is a there is a, an opportunity uh, uh, an opportunity of joy between two people um, that you might have where for once you feel that oh I was seen and loved and cherished and as we move into this holiday season if you have that moment to say that to somebody and see them um, on your team the people you work with um, we asked our our teachers yesterday to have a challenge before they left the building tomorrow to, to find somebody that they want to speak about their gratitude, their gratitude towards them. And, um, you know, how that is, that gives to your own well-being and how that lights up the lives of other people. Mm. I, I love that. And I, I would love to hear more about that on the, on the other side of this, this break. Um, there's a great TED talk out there. Essentially, um, this man made it his mission to show gratitude. He loved his morning coffee. And what he set out to do was to track down like every individual who made that cup of coffee possible and really like dig into wow. the journey of how that coffee comes to his table. And, um, you know, that there's like a, at least a hundred people behind that. Um, so that's um that's maybe a really interesting note for us to end on is just thinking about our journey as educators and all of the different people who have helped us get to sustain the place that we're at um because i think even if you've only been in education for a few years that list is already going to be really 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 long um and i think um you've kind of nudged me i think in in light of one of the readings that we've pointed out, I think I'm going to try to track back, like, who were my not nice mentors that helped nudge me and did, you know, in the words of, of Crenshaw, help, you know, see my potential and believe that I could transform if they brought a real dialogue to me. So yes. listeners, again, we're hoping that this like mini lit review on things collaboration might be useful to you and your team and just reframing and rethinking when you're talking about a collaborative space what are you actually talking about and what are some questions that um that might be useful for your team so the resource has again five different texts you've got the documentation piece there with a protocol to help you just jot down some notes and we were thinking for those who wanted to um to do some of that thinking some of that learning. We're hoping that this resource might be useful. If it is, please do reach out to Kathleen and I. Um, we're, we're hoping to do this on a pseudo regular basis. So uh, also tell us a little bit about the five resources that we curated. And if there's something more specific you're looking for, or if you want us to be trying to find more research from um, a field, we'd, we'd love to hear back from listeners. And we're just so touched that you generously have given up some of your time to be with us today. And uh, I want to just uh, 
thank Trish because I always say she's at the DJ of resources <laughs> um, and she's an, an amazing curator of material. And um, I would also challenge those out there who would like maybe want to share like three or four resources and that we would we would take on those four or five and uh, maybe bring you on the show and, and we could talk about um, some of the things you're thinking about or reading or listening to. So we'd love to hear more from our audience and uh, wishing you joy uh, during this holiday season. Yeah, doing our best right now in, in the final moments of this episode to like give you the equivalent of a 60 second hug. Um, thanks again so much for listening and we'll uh, we'll see you again in January. Thanks again for listening to us. To get the resource you heard us discuss in this episode, head to the show notes or explore episode six, the post that you can find by heading to unhingedcollaboration.com. 